Hello, and welcome to the Clockwork Game Design Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Bergun. Uh, today, we've got a bunch of different topics on the show. Uh, I have a bunch of news. Um, I'm still working on an Arnold Rowers um, podcast uh, conversation interview that will be coming up soon. But right now, uh, I have been really deep in the weeds of working on Gem Wizards Tactics, which is going really well, finishing up the final details of Dragon Bridge. Um, actually, I've, over the last few weeks, I've started an everyday stream over on twitch.tv slash keithbergun. So uh, if you like having these kinds of conversations that we have on this show, I really recommend checking that uh, Twitch stream out. I'm streaming pretty much every day from like one to five or two to five, somewhere in that area, basically during the day. And that's been going really well. We've had like nine, 10, sometimes up as many as 15 people watching, uh, having conversations about, um, we'll read certain articles and things. Actually, as a little sample, um, I'll play you a clip here from a conversation that we had on the Twitch stream recently. Just a little setup to this audio. Um, this is me talking about a Hops article on score systems. Uh, you can find the full clip of this over at my Twitch channel or on YouTube where I also uploaded it. So we're talking about score systems and some of what I'm talking about here we'll talk about in more depth in the actual podcast episode coming after the audio. In Brazen Barry Bonanza, there is only one action that increases score and it always increases score by exactly one point, picking a ripe berry. And so like, like... Not that, you know, Brazenberry Bonanza is like the be-all end-all or anything, but like this hints at my problem with score is that like every time you do blankety blank, you get this this point that just gets put into a bucket and like taken out of the game, basically. Um, you know, like a visualization of my problem is like victory points in almost every video uh, board game where like we have this thing going on, but then there's just like, I'm tallying victory points over by me and they're not feeding back into the game. They're like removed from the game completely. That's what points are. That's like what score is. And, um, and then by the end it's like, well, who tallied the most of the victory points? And, uh, that's, that's, there's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with points in this way. So that's the kind of stuff we've been talking about a lot on the stream recently, and uh, I really recommend you coming by and uh, hanging out. If you haven't noticed, we've updated the Patreon uh, several times. It's now, I think, in the best state it's ever been in. Uh, we have now, if you, at the $5 level, you get access to the early version of Gem Wizards Tactics. At the $10 level, you get all my games for free. Uh, digital games, as well as uh, print and play versions of my uh, card games. I, with Gem Wizards Tactics, just before I get into the real game design topics, I just want to say it's been going really well. We have a whole new UI. I'm trying to really work on like screenshotness. It's interesting because there's always this question of like, how polished do you make your thing when it's early? And sometimes, um, you know, the temptation is to keep it as not polished as possible until like the game's basically done and then polish it all, right? But the problem with that approach is that you really want to like start kind of like getting momentum going as soon as you can in terms of like, for lack of a better word, marketing, uh, but for, you know, getting people to know about it and getting people excited about it and getting people to play test the version while it's not... Um, done you know i mean having just a handful of playtesters makes such a world of difference um that i experienced that so much with uh, dragon bridge we we had a good we had like a core group of about five or six playtesters who 
play tested like crazy and it just made such a massive difference and so you kind of have to do you have to make your game sort of a little bit pretty kind of early on in order to attract people especially because there's just so many games out there so that's something that I kind of would recommend is um, especially if you're confident in your game and you, you really feel like this is gonna work if you're if it's in the very much experimental phase you're not sure where it's going then I think it's more reasonable to hold off on polishing it. But if you are really committed to it, like for me, Gem Wizards Tactics, it's happening. It's like my baby. And I'm also very confident that it's going to be good. And so for me, it's it's it makes a lot of sense to really polish it and try to like get some really cool screenshots out there and stuff like that, GIFs and all that. But yeah, so we have a new UI. Uh, the artwork for the potato faction is done. I Next up, I have to implement their functionality. And once I have that, there will probably be a playtestable version that goes out to my $5 and up patrons, but hopefully by the end of this month, depending on how things go. So that's the quick update, uh, what's going on with me. But today I really want to talk to you about two game design tropes that I'm generally wary of and that I hope that I can convince you to think about in a different way than the typical way that they get thought about. It's not because these things are always bad, but because they're often a problem and because avoiding them may be a great way to find new possibilities. So let's get into them. The two topics that I want to talk about today are actor removal and score systems. Now, before I get into actor removal, the first one, um, with any of these kinds of critiques, always keep in mind that these patterns are just that, they're patterns. A lot of times it becomes a little bit hard to discuss them because they're sort of ab abstracted um, tendencies. Um, they, you know, they exist in a certain way. So like as an example, um, I was just thinking of this because another podcast topic that I want to talk about at some point is like, what is a card game, right? And like, uh, you know, I guess Agricola has cards, so maybe that's a card game. But I think there's another way in which a card game is is kind of an aesthetic. It um, it involves drawing cards. It involves having a hand of cards. It involves often a lot of like Magic the Gathering style mechanisms or possibly poker style mechanisms um, of like playing cards uh, to the table or you know that that kind of thing. So so when someone says card game, it actually is this loose impressionistic sort of thing. Um, it's not something. So that's what that and that kind of uh, the the fact that that's the case can sometimes make it difficult to have conversations about like if you have a problem with a certain thing in games because it's always easy to say well not all card games are like that you know um, and it's true um, so. So I think it's important to, when I get into these two topics, try to think about like sort of the essential version of these things that I'm talking about. And along the way, I'll try to make it as clear as possible. So let's define actor removal. Back in 2017, I, I did a talk at Indiecade about a actor removal and its role in uh, strategy games. And uh, I think I talked about this on the podcast a little bit at that time. But it's let's let's review what what actor removal is because I've never actually written a formal article about actor removal. So a nice formal definition for actor removal that we can use for today is the process of frequently removing game avatars or characters or buildings or other placed objects, usually by way of damage or reducing health, completely from play. So some examples, um, shooting monsters in Doom, they get removed from play, or um, 
you know, shooting monsters in uh, XCOM. Almost in any game where they're shooting monsters, uh, it's actor removal. Um, you know, destroying units in StarCraft. Uh, civilization. Um, the, the fighting. After you destroy a barbarian, what happens to it? It just disappears. It gets removed from play. Um, and that's what actor removal is. is uh, or in chess, uh, capturing a piece removes it from play. In checkers, uh, jumping a piece removes it from play. That sort of thing. So that's what actor removal is. And I am making the claim that uh, we should be very, very... We should be a lot more skeptical of actor removal than we are. So that's not to say you can never use actor removal. It's not to say that it doesn't have its place. Um, and again, even the definition itself is fuzzy. Like what exactly is an actor? You know, is it actor removal in pandemic when you remove viruses from the uh, table? Kind of a little bit, sort of, but sort of not also. So why am I at all skeptical of actor, actor removal? Um, the, the shortest way to talk about it is that it is a very harsh uh, cleansing of meaning from a system. So if you think about um, an example that I like to think about is, is the game Go and how slowly over the course of the game, you're sort of like building up this lattice work. Uh, if you've ever looked at like a Go board, especially if you're not a fantastic Go player, uh, if you're like just an intermediate or low level Go player, um, which most people who have played Go probably stay as, because it's a very hard game to get really into. If you look at a late game Go board, it just, it kind of looks like, you know, one of those screens, uh, like an old TV screen when it wasn't plugged into anything, just white noise. Uh, there's, you can sort of maybe see a few little shapes here and there, but you, you're not really seeing, it's hard for you to parse all that information and like really build, like understand what you're looking at. Whereas for the players who played that, even if they are of exactly the same skill level as you, they have a very good sense of what, um, uh, I, I, maybe not a very good sense, but they have a much, much better sense of what all of this stuff means on the table, on the go board. And that's because they were there for every single piece that got put down. They had this internal monologue with themselves. They had this like stories about, you know, what, what's going to happen with this, uh, this group here. And, and can I take that corner there? And, oh, now I'm trading this for that. I'm abandoning this here. I'm letting that the opponent have that all that kind of stuff. And so they've built all this meaning into all of those pieces that throughout the course of a match and they've sat with it. And I think that that's what we do in all games is we slowly piece by piece, we're like adding meaning to the system. Now in Go, it's very explicit. You're like literally adding pieces to the board. In most games, it's not that way. A lot of times it's like you're moving a piece around or, you're, or some combination of your moving pieces and you're changing pieces and, and you're even removing pieces. But as you're, as you're building... It's like you're building this castle of meaning. And especially on one-on-one -on -one games, which, you know, I've, I've talked about before that I have other issues with competitive, like, head-to-head -head games. But um, especially in one-on-one -on -one games, there is often a thing of, like, uh, I'm sort of detracting from your sandcastle of meaning that you're building. I'm trying to, like, cut that down, trim that down, you know, burn that down to the ground. Um, and so from the perspective of the other player, um, there is a loss of meaning that's happening there. Now, something else is also happening where, where, you know, the system is kind of working, uh, and there is a, there can be a kind of balance there and a greater meaning of, 
you know, uh, I am, I'm beating you at the game or you're, you're beating me and, uh, your strategy is paying off all that kind of stuff. So it is not to say that actor removal makes strategy games like not work, but I do think that, um, in terms of, you know, something that we can say to game designers, people who are designing new games from scratch, I, I think that, um, having this pattern of actor removal as like this basis, this, this, um, standard operating procedure really makes it, makes our jobs harder as game designers. That's really the way that I'd put it. It just makes it that, um, it's more difficult to, uh, to achieve that elegance, um, to achieve like emergent complexity. Um, it's, it's, it's counterproductive for what we, I think really want in strategy games because, uh, it's so coarse and it's so final and you're like deleting these chunks off the table. It's kind of like if you were trying to play some complex Euro game and, you know, uh, every once in a while, like a cat came by and just like kicked a few pieces off the table or something. It's like sort of similar to that in, in, in the way that it, it, it is just, it's just too destructive. Uh, of course you can go the other way too. I think, uh, I think there can be systems where, all you're doing is just building and building and building and building. And I would say Go kind of has that problem. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not saying that's not what I'm arguing for. But I do think that there's a lot of uh, ways that we can change even existing systems that do have actor removal. So, for example, my game Oro, um, during the production of Oro, specifically during the PC version of Oro. So we released Oro originally on mobile. And then um, in about, I think, 2016, we finally got the PC version out. We worked on it for about an extra year and then had some kind of crazy holdups. But we did a whole, like, once-over on the design for the PC version. And if you happen to be one of the people who only played the mobile version and never played the Steam version, I really recommend you try the Steam version because I think it's a lot better. But one of the things that we did with that, because I was starting to understand the problem of actor removal... And again, there's only so much you can do with an existing system, but this is a good example of something that maybe you can do um, and that might at least illustrate my point. So typically in a, in a game where you're fighting monsters like Oro is, you know, you kill the monster and then it disappears. Maybe it leaves a body there, but the body is just art. It doesn't do anything. And in maybe some very rare specific circumstances, you know, in Warcraft 3, there's one of the races in Warcraft 3 can, like, eat the dead bodies to, like, recover health because they're, like, undead ghouls or whatever. So very rarely you'll see actually, like, the bodies of things get uh, interacted with. And, uh, I mean, maybe that's a little bit, like, gross and weird. And uh, But the thing is, like, uh, it's kind of funny. I, I have to do a little side sidebar here because it's, like, the idea that you'd be doing something to a body were disgusted by, but the fact that you would be turning something from a living thing into a body doesn't disgust us. And I think that there's uh, there's something kind of telling there. Anyways, back to my point. In Oro, what we did in order to slightly remove actor removal or fix this problem somewhat, is that we made it that when whenever you kill monsters in Oro, almost all the time, it's because you bump them into the water. And so what we've done... Um, is we we made it so that you bump a monster into the water and it creates a monster tile. So it's like this special magical tile that appears where a monster was killed. So that that actually does a few. We actually came up with that partially because uh, we didn't want people just like funneling monsters into the same spot, which you know uh, was more of a problem in the old version of Oro anyway. Um, so it was like an anti-degenerate sort of rule. 
But at the same time, um, it did mitigate that problem of actor removal because now the meaning of that monster being to my right on this turn um, is still carried forward even after I kill the monster and put him in the water because now he is that tile. So the level is still somewhat affected by that monster and his existence and by what I did with that monster. So, so you see, like, that's one way that you can slightly change how um, and, and make it so that, um, you know, monsters, as an example, become a little bit more permanent in games. Now, I should address one sort of counter argument that comes to this, which is that anything you do in a game, in a sense, is permanent in that, like, you are going to have a finite number of inputs. Um, the state is changing. You know, that monster could have hit you one more time, but now he won't because you killed him. So so it's not to say that um, actor removal has like a complete destructive force on on games, but I do think it's it's something worth being skeptical of. And I think I think that I would recommend game designers at least experiment with designs that don't use actor removal. If for no other reason, if none of what I'm saying now is convincing to you, if for no other reason, because it's so leaned on in uh, so many games, particularly digital games, but also, you know, American style uh, tabletop games, uh, D&D based games where you have like dice roll combat and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, that's my general feelings on actor removal. Um, you don't have to go all the, all out and have no actor removal, but it's worth it's really worth thinking about. So, yeah, uh, that's my spiel on that. Please uh, let me know what you think of that, and uh, let's fight about it if you want to. By the way, people are welcome to come onto the Twitch stream, call in on Discord, and we can have a conversation about uh, any of these topics, uh, and it'll be fun and cool. And I've already had a few people on to do just that, so or uh, email me or just message me on the Discord if you're interested. All right, so topic two, score systems. So I've been having a lot of conversations on my Discord. We have one or two people on the Discord who are big fans of, like they call it like par score systems or um, average score systems. Uh, apparently Michael Bros P1 Select has a system like this where it just, you know, you're... Uh, sort of the high score is the average of your last five scores minus one of the worst of those five or something along those lines. You know, I, I, I've been arguing with uh, some of them for a while. Actually, um, Hop, who has been on this podcast before, um, is one of the people that I'm, I've been arguing with a lot. Um, yeah, she, she actually writes, a, she has a blog and she's re- written a couple of articles about this. And, um, you know, I would say definitely do check them out, but I do agree, disagree, uh, uh, very much with that whole premise. However, in the conversation, it occurs to me that like I'm I'm objecting to something even deeper than whether we have binary goals or uh, these score systems. So I'm on team binary goals. I think that strategy games uh, really need to have um, uh, like binary win and loss conditions. I think there's issues with that. I have some critiques of that. Um, I'm not saying that um, the uh, that the, the those kinds of score systems, uh, they, they certainly solve a lot of problems with traditional score systems, which to me are just total non-starters for strategy games. But I still think that um, uh, you know binary win conditions have are just better for strategy games. But anyway, in in trying to argue that case, I find that I have to actually take a step back a little bit because my problem is actually less with the, uh, score system 
score systems as goals per se, and it's more with score systems more broadly, actually. And I've been trying to think about ways to explain this and make it more clear for people why I'm skeptical of that. So first, let's do what we did with actor removal. Let's define score system. So a score system, and again, this is that, you know, very broad pattern, impressionistic concept of what a score system is. It's a numeric value that increases throughout the game and determines the end match feedback, i.e. winning or losing, or if you don't have a binary version of that, um, you know, how good you did, I guess. And now, of course, this is distinct from just any old integer-based resource that's in the game. So, you know, if you have health as that's an integer, that's not a score system. If you have uh, gold, that's usually not a score system. Uh, you know, things like that. Like, you can have all kinds of numeric integer-based resources, and those are not necessarily score systems. Score systems are specifically the integer that you sort of, like, take with you after the match is over. And that almost always does not um, kind of like reinvest back into the system. So some games, um, gold, like I'm thinking about some Euro games and where gold is both your score and also can be spent on things. Um, there's a lot of uh, like uh, train games are like that a lot of the time. And, and I'm not so much talking about those because once you start, um, once it becomes another resource of the game, it's a little bit different. I still have issues with that. Uh, so my, my overall take here is I'm skeptical of score systems across the board. Fundamentally, I think that they are inherently something that is more suited for a contest um, or for a toy. There's something fundamentally um, not right about score systems uh, when it comes to strategy games. And in order to talk about that, I need to talk about arcs and short and long arcs. Um, I've written a few articles before about, uh, you know, a healthy sort of arcosphere or uh, where you have the small arcs and then you have the larger arcs with the small arcs in inside them and the long arcs being defined by those smaller arcs. And we can call those long arcs strategies or I guess that's the only thing you can call them. And the shorter uh, arcs are more like tactics, right? And so one issue with um, with score systems is that they tend to reward tactics. Um, it's hard for score systems to be explicitly only tied to the longer arcs. And even if they are explicitly only tied to the longer arcs, the longer arcs are not the game. Like you winning longer arcs, it, it, it creates too close of a relationship between these short arcs, the longer arcs, whatever they are, whatever mix of short and long arcs, and the final end game feedback. Um, there should be some uh, distance between those two things. Um, because the goal of the game is, or there's a goal of the game in any game, um, in any strategy game. And, you know, A, that I, th I, I, th I can make a case that that needs to be well defined. So players need to know what they're going for. Um, I guess you could say in like a par type of score system, you kind of know what you're going for. Like, oh, my par is like 65, so I'm going for, you know, roughly 65. Um, I have another issue that I will bring up momentarily with that. But uh, let's say that that's a clearly defined goal. There needs to be ambiguity about, about the system in a holistic way and how it connects to the final outcome. 
there shouldn't be this like, oh, on turn three, I got five points. On turn 10, I got seven points. On turn eight, I got 12 more points. And then on turn nine I, or you know 15, I got six more points. And, and, that, and that's what made me win. Points quantify something which should remain in the realm of qualitative measurement. Um, that, that's actually the best way I can put it. Let me just say that one more time. Points quantify that which, which really should remain qualitative, which is the overall holistic strategy ecosystem of this game and how your strategies and your tactics and everything come together to result in a win or result in a loss. And points instead um, sort of create these direct moments where it's like, okay, I got three points on that moment. I got seven points on that moment. They are too flattened and too um, unambiguous. And I, I so so again, it's not that you can't make it work, and it does work in many, many games, but it is something that I think players should uh, should try to design um, should consider not using. <laughs> so I, th- I think there are other advantages as well. Um, I think that um, let me just quickly talk a little bit more about. Um, one other issue that I have with score systems, even if you do make them binary, which is that um, if you're if you're sort of par or whatever, the, the score you're sort of roughly going for is like 65 and you get 64 or 65 or even 66, you know, it can kind of just sort of feel like a draw. It sort of feels like, um, and in fact, a lot of games you will be getting around par because that's how par is defined. It's your average score. And yes, you'll be usually getting better at the game, but there are times when you kind of stay the same in skill in any game that's complex and worth learning, honestly. Um, If it were worth learning, you shouldn't just be able to quickly, quickly be learning constantly and be getting better all the time. I think there's going to be times where you're like... I don't I don't know what to do and and I think that those those are the parts where it's really hard and those times you're just going to be going to be getting these like neutral ties basically these draws and I think it's very unsatisfying um this is kind of a distinct point from the other point but yeah to conclude this section I I I think that score systems one reward they tend to reward tactics too much they tend to be too quantitative too um like, like additive, like you're just, you know, accumulating points into this bucket that's left the game and that, uh, and, and it quali- it quantifies that which remain, should remain qualitative and, and mysterious sort of to, I hate, I sort of hate to use the word mysterious, but like strategy games should be, have this sort of, um, mysterious quality to them where, um, you know, where the source of winning is a little bit ambiguous and it's not just a matter of like i just got more points and look here's the turns where i did the things that got me the points granted that's a super abstraction every time you do get points there's all this stuff behind that but i still think that uh we should experiment more with uh games that don't use points now this is even more true in my favorite kind of game which are designer euro games designer euro games tend to be extremely point heavy and um so this is not a case of you know keith just hating on games that he doesn't like i love reiner knizia games and uve rosenberg games and uh you know all these uh, race for the galaxy and uh but i think that they could be made much better without relying on something like victory points which 
I don't need to tell a lot of people here already know there are all kinds of other problems with victory points. Like, um, you know, uh, the, the whole thing of like a lot of board games are like, don't like keep your victory points private. Um, I forget which game it was that I remember a lot of games were doing that like five, 10 years ago. I think they've stopped doing it at this point because it's so silly. But what they're trying to do is uh, get rid of uh, like dead uh, lame duck scenarios. And uh, that was one of uh, Hop's arguments is that uh, score systems uh, in terms of like non-binary goal score systems will get rid of um, like a lame duck scenario where you know you're going to win. Um, And that's kind of true. But um, it's just, well, it's just because it gets rid of winning. <laughs> uh, yeah, you don't know you're going to win. You never know you're going to win, whether you're doing great or, or not. Uh, so it's kind of a, it's sort of a little bit of a cheap way to win that, to, to, you know, get out of lame duck scenarios, is that the whole premise of a lame duck requires that, you know, the, the winning or losing. So, like I said about actor removal, I'm not saying never use score systems, never use anything that looks like a score system, but I am saying try some different things. If you're working on a board game, um, especially a two-player or four-player you know, strategy board game, I really would be interested to see some uh, win conditions and such that that don't use a score system, uh, that, that use some other resource that's like deeply embedded in play or that um, use some kind of like binary condition that is the win condition um these are the kinds of things that i'm more interested in uh as an example my own dragon bridge does not have a score system uh it has i mean you could say that your position on the board is kind of like you know could be expressed as an integer but uh that's that's not what i'm talking about um the, the your your position on the board is constantly mattering it's constantly flipping back and forth you're constantly manipulating it um it is a resource in numerous different ways throughout the game um and ultimately you're trying to bump the other opponent the opponent into the dragon or escape for off the other side of the bridge and uh i think that those kinds of goals those non-score just get more points than the other opponent race sort of race to victory points uh, are a much healthier starting place for strategy game design personally. Um, but again, you know, this is something that uh, it's, it's a loose uh, collection of ideas. It's hard to talk about this in a clear way. Um, I hope that I've kind of made a little bit of sense on these two topics. Um, if you're here interested to hear more, I did have conversations, especially about score systems. Um, and these were real time conversations where I had not planned anything. I hadn't written anything down. Um, uh, but, uh, you can go check those out. They're on my Twitch page or on my YouTube. Um, and, um, I recommend going and checking those out if you want to hear more. Uh, but anyway, uh, and of course come by and just hang out. And, uh, if you want to come on the show yourself, you're more than welcome on the show by the show. I mean, uh, on the Twitch stream because I'm going going to be there every day. And uh, like I said, this show is sponsored by Patreon and uh, our Patreon has actually gotten a lot better. We've got, we gained like, I think five or six new patrons in the last couple of weeks. Um, the new, I think people are responding to the new setup and the new goals. Like this Patreon is now really about game development and, and game design. And, uh, you know, I, I, I personally, I love, I support a lot of people who do things like what I'm doing. And I, I think that there's, well, not a lot of people, there's not a lot of people out there doing this kind of thing. So if you are one of the rare people who are like myself that really appreciate this kind of thing, 
uh, do consider becoming a patron or spreading the word around uh, to help to help uh, those other, you know, 10 or 50 other people on the planet who are interested in this kind of thing um, to know that it exists. Anyways, thank you so much for listening. This has been the Clockwork Game Design Podcast. And next week I will be back or, you know, not next week, but uh, next month I'll be back with an interview with Arnold Rowers. So thank you so much for listening and I will see you next time. Oh, and and don't forget, we have a new schedule now. We're releasing this podcast on the first Thursday of every month. So uh, you can have that just sort of locked in. That's always going to be the case. Um, if, if I can't make it at some point, I will, of course, let everyone know. But I don't see any of that happening. That, that shouldn't be a problem. So, yes, um, I look forward to seeing you next Thursday of the first Thursday in March. Thank you so much for listening and see you next time.